We're going to continue this morning. Uh, of course, we had last week with uh, Dr. Ryan Frazier and uh, brought us three good lessons, both Friday night and two on Sunday. Uh, but before that, we had began the first part of Ephesians uh, chapter 3, and we looked at about half of that uh, two weeks ago. Uh, Philip did a, did a great job beginning of that chapter. Today, we're going to finish up that chapter as we uh, continue to go through uh, the, the book of Ephesians. We're going to begin uh, at about verse 14 this morning and then go on down through uh, the end of the chapter. What makes the church run? Or you could say what makes the church operate? What makes the church work? Whatever words you'd like to put in there. And uh, you may think, well, the church, uh, maybe that's comparing it a little bit too much to a business. And, and it's not. We're very, very uh, different, a different group, a different uh, reason, a different priority, but certain things go together to make a group work, and that's what we're going to look at this morning and uh, ask ourselves, is, is that happening here? Can we make that happen here? Can we do more to make that happen here? And Paul breaks that down. We're going to get to that in, in just a moment. There was a popular comedian several years ago named Flip Wilson, and he would do many different skits. Uh, uh, just hearing that name brings chuckles to, to some folks' mind. But uh, often he would uh, appear as a, a preacher, and he preached for a church called What's Happening Now Church. One of his skits went like this. He'd shout out, if this church is going to serve God, it's got to get down on its knees and crawl. And then the audience shouted, make it crawl, preacher, make it crawl. And once the church has learned to crawl, he'd go on and say, it's got to get up on its feet and walk. Make it walk, preacher, make it walk, they cried. And once this church has learned to walk, it's got to begin to run. Ooh, make it run, preacher, make it run. And in order to run, it's got to reach deep into its pockets and learn to give. Make it crawl, preacher, make it crawl. You knew what was coming there, didn't you? Yeah, that skit, you may have seen that uh, from years ago. So what is it that makes a church run? Is it having lots of money? Don't think that's the answer. Is it having a great preacher? Is it having a great um, music or worship ministry? Is it having great programs for um, the youth, for men, for women, uh, addictive programs? What is it that makes a church run? Famous minister and author Francis Chan once wrote in one of his books, he said, years ago my friend from India drove me to a speaking engagement in Dallas. When he heard the music and saw the lights, he said, you Americans are funny. You won't show up unless there's a good speaker and good music. In India, people get excited just to pray. Think about that for a moment. People get excited just to pray, just to be together. Now, there's nothing wrong with a good speaker, good music, a good worship ministry. But is that the main thing that the church has to offer? And if that's why the church runs... Maybe there's a problem. Maybe there's something we should look at. Another minister once told of a story of a church that seemingly had everything. It had lots of money, hired the biggest, best-named preachers in the brotherhood, had a very meaningful worship time, even had its own evangelistic program on the radio. It was a vibrant church of 600 people. This church had doctors, lawyers, and state officials as members. If any church knew how to run, you'd thought that this one did. But there was something missing in that church. They did everything just right except 
one thing. And because they missed that one thing, they eventually had a scandal and they split in two. And they had to sell their beautiful building. He ended that story by saying that was the church I grew up in. And you may have known of churches like this, seemingly had all of the right things in place, yet something happened. Something went and maybe there was an argument, a disagreement, and something went terribly wrong. What was that one thing? What was the one thing they were missing? Let's look at our text there in in Ephesians chapter 3. I want to begin reading at verse 14, and we'll read down through about 19. It says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all, full, all the fullness of God. You know, I really think in those short verses, Paul unpacks what we're going to look at this morning. He laid out for us what makes a church run. And we're going to look at these three items in a little bit uh, more detail this morning. Let's take this apart and see what Paul um, prayed for, that the church would run, would be successful, would, would operate well. First of all, he talks about there in verse 16. Paul prayed that the Ephesians would allow God to strengthen them with power through his spirit in their inner being taken from verse 16 there in chapter 3. Now, why would Paul pray that, that they'd be strengthened with power through God's Spirit? Well, I think if you think of most mortal organizations that we belong to, it depends upon us doing something to make that work or to make that operate, to make that run. I mean, that's what the listeners were thinking too. And lots of churches have been led to believe that it's their strength that will make the church powerful and vibrant. In fact, there's all kinds of books, blogs, conferences that you can attend designed to help the struggling church to learn new methods and techniques to become bigger bigger and more powerful. The church's strength doesn't come from mortal power. And that's what Paul is reminding him here at the very beginning. It's through God's Spirit And if the church forgets that, they will fall into a trap. You know, this is what happened to Israel time and time again. God's chosen people. You go throughout the Old Testament. God rebuked them there in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. He says, not by might nor by power, but my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. But by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, if you want to be strong, don't rely on mortal power. Rely on God's spirit. But too often Israel didn't do that. Too often they got to looking at their neighbors, the nations around them, and they'd think, we want to be more like them. We want to be like these nations that are rising up and becoming powerful. We want to be bigger, stronger. That always got them into trouble. You remember while Samuel was a judge in Israel, and this was before they had kings, the people complained, said, we want a king over us. Then we shall be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. There in 1 Samuel chapter 8. 
And God let them have their way, but he reminded them, he said, Israel rejected me from being king over them there in that very same chapter. They'd rejected God because they rejected his power. And what motivated them to do that was they wanted to be like all the other nations. They wanted to to be like their neighbors, so to speak. Do we ever fall into that trap personally? Probably we do from time to time. But if we're going to be that church, that church that Christ died for, that church of Christ, we need to rely on God's power, not ours. You know, just this last Thursday evening, our shepherds met together uh, with the ministry staff, and we spent some time, spent about two and a half hours, talking about the body of believers here at Sunset, our family here at Sunset. We shared together, we dreamed together, we prayed together about possibilities For our Sunset family. We did all this just to prepare for our leadership retreat, which will be happening in about three weeks. There's much time that's spent in prayer for this family from our shepherds. And I think you realize that. I hope you do. One item that we discussed was simply trying to grow this congregation. And there's lots of ways you can do that spiritually, numerically. You know, one time we had an average attendance of 731 Uh, on Sunday mornings. That was back in 2005 before our second church plant. And I realize we sat here this morning in the midst of a pandemic where uh, several are worshiping from home and and many have ventured here. But how can we get back? Can we get back to that number in five years, in ten years? We looked at some of those things, dreamed some of those dreams. And our shepherds realized, no, we can't do that on our own. We never could, but God could. Acts chapter 2 says that very thing of the early church. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And it's only by His Spirit that our prayers will be answered. That's what Paul's reminding us there in verse 16. Then he turns to this idea of faith. Now, if you think of this and look at this, this is your own life, isn't it? This is the life that you're living, the things that God would ask you to do in your life. That's what makes the church run as well. That's what makes the church operate. And here in verse 17, Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. Now, what does that mean? Well, think about it this way. You know, in a lot of churches, people will ask their neighbors, have you heard about our preacher or have you seen our building? It's so beautiful. Have you heard about our youth program, our women's group, our men's group? Have you heard about all of the wonderful programs? And that's all well and good, and we've probably often all said things like that. But you know what we ought to be saying? A simple question, have you heard about my Jesus? Have you heard about the one that brings us together? Have you heard about the one that unifies, the one that saves? The reason we're here. Jesus said in John chapter 12 and verse 32, I will draw all people to myself. You notice the one thing that verse doesn't say. He didn't say draw men to Dwight or to Philip or to any of our ministry staff or our leadership team. He didn't say draw men to any of our Bible class teachers or our ministry program leaders. He said, I'll draw all people to myself. Back in the 1800s, there was a famous preacher who got a skeptic to promise to come to church. They were doing a special series, and he said, I want you to come for the next four weeks and learn or hear about Christianity. And on the fourth week, the skeptic stepped forward to become a Christian, and the preacher couldn't help but asking him afterwards, which one of my sermons changed your mind? 
The skeptic complimented the sermons but said what convicted him was a woman who came up to him after church one Sunday and said, I wonder if you know my Savior, Jesus Christ. He's everything in the world to me, and I would like you to know him too. That's what church is all about, isn't it? That's what Paul is sharing here, saying this is what makes the church run. It's this faith. Now, why don't Christians sense this power from God's Spirit? and the importance of faith in Christ. There's probably a number of of reasons or possibilities, but Paul prays that the Ephesians could have power so that through faith they would have the ability to make room in their hearts for Christ. You know, the word dwell means to make a dwelling place. And on one level, Christ comes to dwell in our hearts when we're obedient to Him, put Him on through baptism. But however, Paul is writing here to the church in Ephesus, to Christians, and as Christians are we making room in our hearts for God. And in this sense, the issue is not if Christ lives in you, but how comfortable is He in your heart? You know, inviting a person to stay in your house overnight is different than adopting a family member, isn't it? It's pretty easy to clean that house up, get it ready for that one night. What if you adopt someone that's going to be there day in and day out? Robert Munger wrote an interesting book called My Heart, Christ's home. And he says in this uh, book, he talks about this very verse. He says, without question, one of the most remarkable Christian doctrines is that Jesus Christ himself, through the Holy Spirit, will actually enter a heart, settle down, and be at home there. Christ will live in any human heart that welcomes him. And he goes on in this book and pictures the Christian life as a house through which Jesus goes from room to room. In the library, which is the mind, Jesus finds trash and all sorts of worthless things and proceeds to throw those out and replace them with his word. In the dining room of appetite, he finds many sinful desires listed on a worldly menu. But in the place of such things as prestige, materialism, and lust, he puts humility, meekness, love, and all the other virtues for which believers are to hunger and thirst. He goes through the living room of fellowship where he finds many worldly companions and activities. He goes through the workshop where only toys are being made. He goes into the closet where hidden sins are kept and so on throughout the entire house. Only when he has cleaned every room and closet within us can he truly settle down and be at home. What's your home look like? Is Jesus able to dwell there? Is he able to to come in and feel at home? Or maybe does he feel more like that overnight guest? True for us, true for the church. And Paul's laying that out to the church here at Ephesus. And then the third thing that we had up there just a moment ago, there in verses 18 and 19, Paul prayed that the Ephesians might have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge there in verses 18 and 19. You know, this is the core of what changes us. It's knowing the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of Christ's love that motivates us to do what we do for Jesus. And this is what the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of Christ's love looks like. God's love is long. It's long enough to last forever. And that's what makes it different from human love. 
Have you noticed that sometimes human love wears out? You've seen that in relationships, haven't you? But here Paul says God's love is long. God's love is also wide, wide enough to be everywhere. There's no place that you could go in life that God's love is not with you. Now you may say, I don't always feel that. At times I feel alone, and and that's true. There are times in our life that we do. But if we look back and down deep, it's because we've probably walked away. God's love is deep, deep enough to handle everything. There's no problem, no pressure, no stress, no difficulty, too much to handle. There's no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. God's love is high, high enough to overlook all of our mistakes. No matter how big that mistake may have been, God loves to forgive. He loves to help you start over. The God of second chances. That's true in the church as well, isn't it? Paul's laying that out for them here in the last part of chapter 3. Someone wants to describe God's love in this way. He says, His love was as high as heaven itself. His love went down into the very bowels of hell to draw us to God. It was as deep as the pain He bore when He carried our sins away. And it was as wide as the length of His arms as He was nailed to the tree. And it's only when we understand how much Jesus loves us that our faith can make any difference in this world. Because it's in our sharing that love that lives change. In Christ, we have a love that can never be fathomed. We have a life that can never die. We have a righteousness that can never be tarnished. We have a peace that can never be understood. We have a rest that can never be disturbed. We have a joy that can never be diminished. We have a hope that can never be disappointed. We have a glory that can never be clouded, a light that can never be darkened, a purity that can never be defiled, a beauty that can never be marred, a wisdom that can never be baffled, resources that can never be exhausted. Robert Lavelle says it well, no one can be apathetic in the face of God's love. It's the most powerful force there is. Paul was sharing that with the church at Ephesus. This was his prayer for them. Power through his spirit. Faith in Christ. Praying that they would know the depth, the height, the breadth, the width of God's love. What I want to do now is pray something like Paul prayed for this church at Ephesus. I'm going to ask one of our shepherds, Bruce Chilton, to walk this way, if he would. And he's going to pray for this church right now before we conclude our lesson this morning. And I would ask that you would be praying this prayer this week and in the weeks to come as plans are being made, formulated for some of the great things that will be happening within our body of believers. Bruce, would you come? Word of prayer for us. Let's pray together. God, we humbly stand before you this morning and We recognize that, uh, Father, we are not worthy and that we come to you through the power of Jesus. He brings our prayers to you so they might be cleansed and so that we can speak to you directly, Father. Lord, we are, as a church, we ask your, your forgiveness for a couple of things, Father, and that is one, for living 
in a state of fear. Father, fear of sharing Jesus with others, fear of diseases in our lives, fear of everything that separates us from you. Father, there is so much power if we just allow ourselves to connect to you. The love of Jesus in our life, Father, is what is paramount for everything that we do. How we reach our community, how we reach those that are lost. Father, we ask that you connect us securely to the power that comes through the love that Jesus has for us. Help us to share that with other people. People that are lost, Father, help our congregation to grow in number, but Father, help it to grow in numbers so that it grows the kingdom rather than sharing members between congregations. Father, we ask that you allow us to share this, the message of Jesus into our community, to the people that make up our, our community. Father, help us to share with those who don't know you. Grant us, Father, the opportunity to welcome them into our family. But more importantly, Father, to welcome them into your family. Father, we have so much power at our hands, at our fingertips through Jesus, that you have given us that promise. Paul told us about it. Father, help us to connect into that. Help us to know that our faith that we have in Jesus will grant us that opportunity But, Father, it will require work. It will require us to have a deep, deep faith in everything that we do will come from you. You have shown us those blessings over the years at this church, Father. We ask you to bless us again. Grant us the understanding of how to connect to you so that we can show it to others. Father, we're thankful so much for Jesus, what he has done for us, the power of your word, the power of your spirit, that we have the opportunity to be part of you. Help us not to keep that to ourselves, Father. Help us to live in a way that is powerful and that we're reaching outward instead of living in fear of embarrassment or in fear of of disease, of fear of money, fear of the things that make up this world, help us to put our hope in the things of the next. We're grateful for our relationship to you and that you loved us enough to send your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Bruce. You all have passed this bulletin board numerous times on your way in. I've used this in lessons before, sharing Read and made this, it's been a while back now, two or three years ago maybe. But it's still very, very real and what we need to see each time we come in. We're glad you're here. It's the cross of Jesus that makes us family. It's the love of Jesus. I want to close this morning sharing a story with you. A true story that was shared by a woman named Phyllis Zeno. And in her book, she wrote, One day a beautiful but very troubled little girl came through the door of my day nursery. From the very beginning, I was captivated by her, a child who had so little but needed so much. I was heartbroken that a four-year-old could suffer such heartache and pain. 
She was born in prison after her mom had used marijuana and crack cocaine for her entire pregnancy. The little girl was nonverbal and had very little control. Whenever somebody approached her, she became violent for long periods and ended up in a fetal position on the floor crying out. I found myself praying for her that day in and day out. And as the months rolled on, I began to bond with this child that no one wanted. Every day we'd sit in the big rocking chair in my office, swaying back and forth and back and forth. And during our rocking time, I sang to her, Jesus loves me. As I sang, she always settled down and became very still, though she never spoke. Peace seemed to fill her face as she listened to the song. One day, after a very long battle, I held her to calm her fears and pain. And in silence, we rocked back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Then she looked at me with tear-filled eyes and spoke for the first time. Sing to me about that man who loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. I couldn't see because of the masks, but I hope you were singing that with a smile on your face. So true even yet today. Jesus loves us. He loves this church. He died for this church. He has some plans laid out for this church. Be praying for those. Maybe we can help you today. Maybe if you're subject to that invitation, we can pray for you or you're ready to put on his name through baptism. We'd love to do that. If we can assist you in any way, won't you come as we stand and sing?